0: You've got to be part of this effort to be able to stop the spread. And the sooner it peaks, the better, of course, because then we can go out and live our normal lives. I'm optimistic, though, that because of China, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore has such good results. So they they managed to bring it under control with a lockdown in two months. Um, so I think earliest would be May. Um, if you're a mediocre optimist, then it's a June, and then the I think the concern... People like myself would say it's potentially July when it's peaking, um, and that then we still need another month or so for it to come down again.
1: This is episode 113 of the Neuro Experience Podcast. I'm Louisa, I'm your host. Today, we're joined by David Sinclair, a Harvard Med professor who specializes in aging. Now, for the first part of this episode, we took a hook and focused it 100% on COVID-19. David explains what the virus is, what the latest research is, and how we can build our immunity to protect ourselves against it. Then, on the later part of the episode, we go into depth with the aging process. David believes that not only can we slow down aging, but we can also reverse it. He then goes into the three levels of aging and what can be done on each level. He describes the lifestyle changes that slow aging down, the drug treatments that can begin to stop aging, and experimental new procedures that may actually reverse aging once they are fully developed. Guys, I hope you're staying safe during this rough time. Let's get into it.
0: On March 11, 2020, the World Health Organization made an announcement. In the past two weeks, the number of cases of COVID-19 outside China has increased 13-fold. COVID-19 can be
1: characterized as a pandemic.
0: The coronavirus, or COVID-19 disease, had already overwhelmed China, South Korea, Iran, and Italy. And this was a warning to other countries where it was now spreading quickly. In the days and weeks ahead, we expect to see the number of cases, the number of deaths, and the number of affected countries climb even higher. The spread of COVID-19 was no longer something that could be stopped. But we can still slow it down. We just have to act right now.
1: So, David, I'm so excited to have you on. I've been an admirer of you, uh, given the fact that we're both Aussies. I love that. Now you're doing some amazing things over at Harvard Med. I've... Um, uh, I've been in you know I've read your book I've listened to a lot of podcasts um about your work and what you're doing in the anti-aging space however given the certain circumstances with um the crisis and covid-19 I was hoping to gear this towards that market and that um uh, like change the topics up a bit and and kind of talk about coronavirus and some of the research that you've been over and what you've looked at and what you've found so far. So I'm going to let you kick it off. Why don't you tell our audience who you are, what you studied, where you're at now and give us a brief background on, yeah, everything.
0: Sure. Well, thanks for having me on, first of all, um, and the opportunity to speak about what we do and why we do it and why it's so important right now. to be talking about it. Uh, So I'm, first of all, not an MD. I'm a PhD with training in microbiology and genetics, uh, actually from Australia originally. Uh, I've been at Harvard Medical School now for 20 years, running a laboratory that studies human health and the body's defenses against diseases, um, typically age-related diseases, but also the, the body's natural defenses, even against pathogens. Um, I'm an entrepreneur as well. And so I've started a number of companies, one of which is particularly um, relevant, and pertinent to today's situation. Uh, and that's a uh, viral disease detection com- uh, company that's here in Boston and also in California. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm a generalist. Um, I know how to read a lot of data very quickly and see patterns and make sense of it. And I have a network of probably a hundred doctors and colleagues who are on the front lines right now and giving me information. So I've seen it as a duty um, to be able to synthesize all this information and make it understandable and and honest and factual uh, for people who want to listen to what I have to say.
1: Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about COVID-19. Can you tell us what it is?
0: Well, COVID-19 is not the virus. Uh, It's, it's, Coronavirus disease two thousand nineteen, and it's it's essentially the same as calling it the flu. So instead of getting the flu, we're getting COVID nineteen infections uh, and diseases, uh, disease symptoms. Uh, It's caused by uh, SARS uh, coronavirus nineteen. It's it's number two pandemic. Uh, SARS number one was uh, two thousand. Was it now early two thousands? And so what we've got is a situation where this RNA virus, so it doesn't have DNA, it has RNA, uh, is running rampant through the world, getting through the membranes of cells, uh, typically in the throat or the nose, even in the eye, through um, a particular protein that pretty much all of us have called ACE2. Um, And uh, and the major issue I see right now about COVID-19 is that It's a slow-acting virus, whereas the the original SARS and and MERS after it were quick-acting and people knew that they were sick so they could be isolated. Here we're seeing people still congregate and go out to parties and go to the beach with potentially spreading the virus, which leaks out of uh, old body fluids, we think. It's highly contagious. Um, It's similar to the common cold where if you're infected, you will infect about Two to four other people. The problem also is that the virus is relatively long-lasting on surfaces. So, if you cough onto a, a keyboard or you have a touchscreen, um, or you you go to a store where the item that you're holding has the virus on it, it can actually last for over a day on plastic. Um, and there are some accounts of it lasting even longer than that. And also, if let's say you're in an elevator with somebody, you know how if somebody's eaten um, some type of food, they've had something for lunch like an onion and you can smell it on their breath, that Mm -hmm. means that particles are coming out uh, typically. And So if they they hack or they cough a little bit, that will create tiny droplets that have now been shown by scientists to linger in the air for up to half an hour before they settle down. So So that's the problem. It's easily spread.
1: So... Okay. So, because what we're not, I think, you know, there's a lot of misinformation right now. Um, There's so much going around on on Facebook, on Instagram. We don't know who to believe. What I'm finding is a lot of people now want answers and we're getting them from just glorified uh, scientists, you know, who are not really scientists on Instagram. And I think what we're all trying to understand from a really, you know, humanistic level is how, first of all, you just said how contagious it was, how it spreads. So, what does that mean in terms of people, you know, gathering around, or even if I'm in... Even if I'm with somebody else and they don't present with symptoms, I know that um, COVID nineteen doesn't actually, or the virus doesn't actually show until ten days after. Is that correct? Uh,
0: it's it's quicker than that. It's my reading of the li- literature is that it's about, I would say two to two days earliest, four days more likely. By the tenth day, usually you're um, fully blown with symptoms, like you've got the flu. And if you're elderly, you might already be uh, in the emergency care unit.
1: Okay, so even so, if I go downstairs and I go for a run, which um, the CDC says it's safe to go out and walk your dog or go for a walk or go for a run, and I cross somebody, okay, how do I have to be in their space? Do they actually have to cough, or do they just have to breathe for me to actually catch it?
0: Uh, If you're close enough, uh, within six feet, I think breathing uh, could even spread it. These are tiny micro droplets like mist, right? If you've ever gone out into the cold weather, you know that you're breathing out liquid droplets. That's what Mm -hmm. that mist is, and it hangs around like a fog. And so that's the issue, especially if uh, it's not hot weather. These droplets don't evaporate easily.
1: So where are we at now in terms of research? Because I know that you posted um, a video on IGTV a couple of days ago about some of the things that they're finding that can um, help with the coronavirus.
0: Well, first first and foremost, um, when you hear the number of cases that are uh, out there, don't be fooled. Um, Right now in the US there are a limited number of tests and there are a lot of people right now who are infected who either don't know they have it or are not being tested, or just staying home. So there's a lot more than you think, and it's now in every state in the United States. So it's out there. So you need to be careful. The, the main thing is, the easiest thing to do, actually, um, is to not come into human contact with others. Um, I'm here with my family at Cape Cod, and uh, we haven't seen anybody for about a week now, so we know that we're safe. Um, it's tough, right? You want to be with friends, but we're using... Uh, social media, not social media, um, video casting, video calls as much as we can. So my kids are taking lessons and um, I'm even having a workout in the gym with my trainer via uh, my phone. But how do you avoid it? So besides just being isolated, um, stop touching your face. If you go to work and if you have to be at work, um, it's very hard to not touch your face. We humans touch our face about 12 times every minute. We're one of the few species that has to touch our face for some stupid reason. But uh, try not to do that. And my brother suggested last night that you should rub onion on your fingers (laughs) so you you actually know that you've done that. But uh, I think that's extreme. Um, I would try to avoid public spaces. If you have to go to the grocery store or the post office, uh, (laughs) minimize that and don't touch your face and wash your hands a lot. Um, even to the point where, you know, you you probably might even have dry skin. Um, I wash my hands um, if I go out uh, immediately upon getting home or if I'm near a public bathroom, I, I try to use that. But I also try not to touch doorknobs or buttons or keypads if I can help it. And I use my knuckle and even better, I use my elbow if it's possible.
1: Wow. How long do you think this is going to happen? go on for? Because what I'm seeing is that a lot of people are now saying, um, you know, at the start it was, you know, young people don't have to worry if you get it, it's just like the flu. And if that is so, then why are we so isolated?
0: Yeah, that's really, really important. Um, For young people who are not worried about it, that's not the point. Uh, The point is that viruses spread by human contact particularly those who don't have uh, very severe symptoms. And so you have, everybody has to be part of this effort. If 90% of us stay at home and 10% go out to restaurants and still see each other, then it defeats the whole effort. Uh, It's like trying to starve a flame of oxygen. If there's a little leak, there's no point. Um, And so we all need to do this. We all need to work together to stop the spread throughout the community. Um, And by the way, even, even if you, are young, you can still be extremely sick, Um, and imagine living with the burden of knowledge that you've inadvertently killed your parents or your grandparents. That would just not be something you'd want to live with.
1: No, absolutely not. That's actually terrible, and one of the main reasons why I didn't fly back to Australia, because my rate at Um, Of catching the the virus on the flight, on the 20-hour flight on the way home is quite high. And even if I do isolate for 14 days, I still don't want to be around my parents. My father is immune compromised. So, I I took the safety measures of staying here in New York City. Um, That brings me to my next point. We've seen a massive decrease um, of the amount of masks that are available. I'm seeing mixed information in terms of if masks work and if they don't. Is it wise for us to be walking around with, let's just say, a surgical mask? Does that actually work?
0: Uh, well, it will work, but it's not necessary. So Singapore, um, they decided to, to send out masks to all of their um, population, So they and they shut it down pretty quickly. But other countries, I believe it was Hong Kong, they, they didn't say it was necessary. So there's mixed messages. What I can tell you is that if you have a mask that's that's N95 rated, uh, it will block the virus as long as it's a tight seal, which is difficult mm. to achieve. Um, but if you don't have a mask, please don't panic. Um, as long as you stay six feet away from people and wash your hands, uh, there's, it's extremely unlikely that you'll catch it. Uh, it's very difficult to get masks, and, and please don't order boxes of them Uh, Right now, hospitals have a severe shortage as well as researchers who are on the front lines. And by hoarding them, then it means that the nurses and doctors that you you may very well need in the future will get sick. Uh, And that's a, a really big problem as hospitals become overrun with patients.
1: What scared me most is um, in your recent video, you stated that the r naught of this virus is two to four, meaning that for every person who has the virus, two to four people um, will get it. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that was the the rate if people just continue to live life as usual. Now, we're hopefully bringing that down to around two or less. We want to get it to less than one. For obvious reasons, that means we will be reducing the rate of its spread. But unless we stay home, um, except for essential workers, uh, it will continue to spread and be in our communities for potentially an entire year, and that we just we don't want to live with.
1: No. I think... Um this is just me putting my own opinion out there. I think by the end of um, May, June, we'll have a better a grip on this and we'll start to be able to go outside and cafes and restaurants will open up again. What's your take on that?
0: Well, I hope that's true. Um, I have a. I don't want to alarm people, but I have a, a friend who's the, the dean of uh, bioinformatics at Stanford University, and his take on the situation from talking to, experts is that if we don't do something um, drastic uh, like have a lockdown it could be peaking uh, in July uh, which would mean that millions of people will catch it Um, so that that's it's really important that uh, again you've got to be part of this effort to be able to stop the spread and the sooner it peaks, the better, of course, because then we can go out and live our normal lives. I'm optimistic, though, that because of China, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore has such good results. So they they managed to bring it under control with a lockdown in two months. Um, so I think earliest would be May. Um, if you're a mediocre optimist, then it's a June. And then the I think the concerned people like myself would say it's potentially July when it's peaking. Um, and that, then we still need another month or so for it to come down again.
1: Oh, God. I don't know um, how people are going to handle that if you are right, and um, I'm the eternal optimist, so I'm hoping it peaks in May and um, we get back to resuming to normal activities because uh, coming from Australia, I've got a lot of people back home who are, you know local business owners and I know that the economy is going to suffer from this especially small business owners and um and I know that's not your field but um do you have any opinions on the economy and how this is going to affect the economy uh
0: yeah I do I'm a small business owner I have about 15 small companies that are trying to get through this so I know what it's like Mm. um I think that, that there's two concerns for the for small communities, and that is at least in the U.S. people, a lot of people have very few savings, right? They only have a few thousand dollars in the bank. So what happens when hourly workers are laid off or kept at home? That's a disaster. They cannot pay rent um, and will have all sorts of hurt. Um, and then the, the second is that um, small businesses, restaurants, um, shops, uh, may not have enough cash on hand either, and they'll need to lay off people. So we're looking at an, an economy where small businesses are could go bankrupt. Um, what I hope is that they were they are forgiven for the, for loans. They can get very cheap loans, um, and that that perhaps the rent the the landlords are not as strict as they usually are. That would greatly help. Mm. Um, just handing out thousand dollars to everybody in a country. To me, doesn't seem like it's going to save much. That'll extend things for maybe half a week at, at most for businesses. Yeah. Um, in terms of the macro economy, yeah, this is a, a major disaster for the planet. This is trillions of dollars already taken out of the stock market where it could be could have been used. Um, but here, but here's the thing that I think is up for the optimists. We went through something like this. Uh, in 1918, in fact, it was worse because we just had World War II, uh, World War I, and then World War II itself was bad enough with the destruction of cities, even without a pandemic. But in a matter of two years, uh, the stock market bounced back from both those uh, and countries were re- had restored their productivity. So, you know, 2020 is going to be bad. There's no question, there's no point sugarcoating it. 2021 will be a time of recovery, and 2022, I predict, will be a bumper year for stocks and for business.
1: Wow. It's such a scary time. Um, it- Let's let's move over from coronavirus. Actually, last last question on that. Until we move over, is there anything that we can be doing um, to possibly other than isolation and everything that you, you just mentioned? Is there anything we can be doing or taking supplementation wise uh, for our immunity in case we do come in contact with the virus?
0: Uh, sure there are. Now there, there are two levels of of um, things you can do. The, the first are, are Medicines that are being tested in hospitals have been shown to work in countries like Korea and China. Um, so chloroquine is an anti-malarial drug that's fairly cheap, though I hear that it's running low in the U.S. That seems to help. Um, I've heard some people disagree, but when I read the scientific literature, it looks looks right. So that's what what you can do. Now, the reason I mention medicines is, um, is that there are other things you can do in your home, but often scientists roll their eyes when we say, oh, take this or that or drink this tea or do that because, you know, clearly they're they're not going to be as effective as a medicine like that. But nevertheless, I still think it's worth talking about what we can do to get ready even if medicines are ultimately the solution. So let me talk about that. Mm. So I've spent my career working on molecules and foods that, promote health and slow down aging, but they also boost our immunity. So here's what I'm doing. Um, I'm staying extremely fit, well, as fit as I can be. I'm a 50-year-old guy. Uh, So I'm now working out three times a week with weights and boxing. When I used to only do that once a week, I want to keep up my strength. I want to keep up my aerobic capacity. Remember, this is a disease that attacks attacks your lungs um, and your oxygen levels. And so the reason people need ventilators is because their lungs are shot. Um, and if you have already an underlying disease, whether it's uh, a lung disease or uh, just a generally frail, um, even worse if you have underlying um, diabetes and heart disease, it's it's not good. So I think staying active, going for walks if, if you can't run is a good thing. In terms of food, I'm... Still trying to stay healthy with my food. I don't eat sugar, avoid uh, processed foods. Though it's hard these days because we're not going out to the, the shops as often. Um, and I think if you're obese, please try to lose some weight. Um, don't starve. We don't. This is not a time to be running out of nutrients. So try to eat um, as healthy as you can and lose weight slowly, um, and bring your blood sugar levels down. The reason. One of the reasons that the virus might be dangerous is that it attacks, or seems seem to attack the blood and reduce oxygen. And if you're diabetic, you can have blood sugar attached to your, your hemoglobin. Long story short, if you have high blood sugar, it may be bad. And so I would try to, to get your weight down um, and not overeat during this time. Other things you can do, uh, well, I talk a lot about resveratrol because resveratrol turns on the genes that protect us against aging. Now, I don't know whether it's good or bad to take it right now. I'm continuing to take it as a, a preventative measure because I'm not exposed to people with virus right now. But, you know, if I had the virus, I'm not sure I would continue taking it. The reason is um, that resveratrol can boost the levels of the protein that the virus uses to enter cells, ACE2, at least in mice. So it may make it worse. On the other hand, resveratrol slows many different viruses from replicating, including HIV, SARS and MERS, which are related. So, you know, it could be good, could be bad, but I think in an abundance of caution with a disease that's this potentially deadly to elderly people, I would not recommend resveratrol if you are a healthcare worker or come down with symptoms.
1: Incredible. David, thank you so much for um, providing us with all of that information. I'd love to move over now and talk about your book and why we originally um, was going to record this podcast lifespan, why we age and why we don't have to. Now, I think this is a growing space obviously you um this is your entire life's work um now i'm seeing right now in the community as a neuroscientist myself um i'm seeing someone who's you know a lover of um anti-aging biohacking i'm seeing a lot of people now um taking this on board and doing measures such as which i know that you're a fan of um you know going into the infrared sauna doing cold thermogenesis Um, going into cryotherapy, cold water, and then just taking all different supplements. So I'd love to get into that. Um, Starting off with uh, part one of your book, which is what we know. So what do we know like right now about the aging process?
0: Right. Uh, Well, so if anybody wants to know what I take on a daily basis, I put that in the book. It's on page 304. Um, My family are a bunch of scientists, so they they take their regimen. Um, But what do we know about aging? Well, we know a lot more than we did a few years ago. We now know that there are genes that protect us against aging. Uh, We call these longevity genes, and they protect us against what we believe are the eight main causes of aging. And you may have heard of some of these. These are mitochondrial decline, loss of stem cells, uh, loss of nutrient sensing, senescent cells. Um, These are, you know, there's a long list. We call these also the hallmarks of aging. But what we're also now realizing um, through work in my lab and a few others around the world is that there might be an upstream cause of all of those problems. And that fundamentally is a loss of information in our bodies. And what do I mean by that? Well, there are two types of information that we inherit. One is the genetic code, the DNA, and the other is the epigenetic code. Which are the instructions that tell the cells which genes to actually read, um, and this epigenome we think is the one that's most susceptible to loss as we get older. And we've got now a lot of in- information and evidence that the loss of epigenetic information is what's driving these causes of aging. Um, and one of the things we've done recently, which I, I happened to describe in the book because I was as actually as I was writing it. I was lucky enough uh, to be writing, to making these discoveries, and those discoveries went into the book. What we've discovered is that you can actually reset the age of cells. It turns out there's a clock in our bodies called the DNA methylation clock. It's also known as the Horvath clock, named after my good friend Stephen Horvath at UCLA. And essentially what the clock does is it measures the epigenome, um, a surrogate marker for the epigenome. It's called DNA methylation, and these essentially well, they're literally chemicals that add to the DNA molecule as you get older. Sometimes they get subtracted. But we can read those changes and predict how old you are, not just based on birthday candles, but literally biologically how old you are and even when you're likely to die. Now, that might sound scary, but actually, it turns out you can change that trajectory by doing the kinds of things that we say are healthy and some of the things that are in my book. Now, in my lab,
1: what would test- you take? Sorry, sorry to cut you off. I just want to stick on that. How can we take this test to determine our biological age?
0: <clears throat> well, there are a few companies now uh, on the internet that are selling services to do that. Uh, one I know of is mm-hmm. called uh, is it DNA Age, uh, but check on that. And the other one is Elysium, E L Y S I U M, Elysium Health. Yeah. I haven't taken the test because these are very new. Uh, We're also working on technologies to bring the cost down to only a few dollars per person. And that way we can test millions of people and try and find out what kind of lifestyles and what medicines seem to reverse or slow down the aging process.
1: So when we're looking at the aging process, I know that telomere length plays a major role in this. Um, can you talk to us about what telomeres are and how we can reduce um it's the so it's the it's the cap- like features on the end of chromosomes, correct? and I think as you age it gets smaller and smaller?
0: Yeah, so this is one of the eight hallmarks of aging telomere loss and think of them like the little caps on the end of your shoelace. if they come off, then you've got a problem. and it's true every time a cell divides or if it gets damaged, it will It can shorten the telomere. There's an enzyme that's in cells that can extend telomeres called telomerase, which was um, a reason that three people won the Nobel Prize for for that a few years ago. Essentially, what we want to do is stop the damage to telomeres, and we also want to um, see if we can turn on telomerase or make it more active. Uh, There are some people who worry that that might cause cancer or, or promote cancer, I haven't seen any evidence of that at this point, um, but that's something to mention. Mm-hmm. Now, because it's one of the eight hallmarks, um, it may actually fit under the what I'm calling the information theory of aging, this idea that the epigenome is involved. And it turns out that the proteins that regulate the epigenome, they also regulate the loss of the telomeric DNA, these caps, yeah? And particular proteins that are called sirtuins, S-I-R-T-U-I-N-S, that my lab has worked on for 20 years, they they don't just control the epigenome and seem to slow the clock down, but they also protect the telomeres. And so by doing the kinds of things that I'm doing, uh, we can activate these sirtuin defenses and slow down not just the clock, but the telomere loss as well.
1: So what are some of the things that you're doing? I know um, you speak about it in your book. Can you maybe describe um, your non-negotiables on a weekly basis?
0: Uh, Yeah, sure. So what we know activates the sirtuins for sure is uh, exercise. It can be weightlifting. It can be uh, losing your breath for five to ten minutes every few days. That's what I like to do now. That'll do it. Um, Other ways to activate sirtuins are to be hungry. Now, that's not pleasant, right? We're designed to sit in chairs and eat food. That's what makes us happy. But these are things that tell our body and our sirtuin defenses, now it's time to relax. Don't worry about protecting yourself. And we don't want that, especially in a time of um, threat. And the viral threat is one of those things. So what I do is I try to skip breakfast every day. And I also eat a very small lunch or skip lunch if I'm very busy. And then I eat a normal dinner uh, with some red wine (laughs) on most days, just a little bit of red wine, which has resveratrol in it. Okay, so those are the the non-negotiables. I also take every morning uh, 1,000 milligrams of resveratrol mixed into yogurt, which helps dissolve it. Otherwise, it doesn't dissolve. You can also take it with a bit of olive oil. And I also take an NAD-boosting molecule. Uh, The one that I take is called.
1: That's what I want to get into. (laughs) So
0: Nmn is the short name for the molecule that I take, and it boosts NAD levels in humans. We've shown in clinical studies. So why would I want to boost my NAD levels? Well, as you get older, you have less and less NAD in our tissue in tissues, but also these sirtuins. Actually, these are enzymes that control, as I said, the epigenome and our body's defences and telomeres. They don't work unless they have sufficient NAD in the cell. And so that's why you want to keep those levels high. And we don't know for sure in humans that this works. We're testing that in clinical trials right now. But in animal studies, mouse studies, typically, it's been shown that raising NAD levels is very effective at reversing some aspects of aging, such as uh, improving organ health and improving endurance.
1: So I've done, um, I've done an NAD IV And it took a very long time. Um, it went over uh, the course of, I think it was about seven hours just sitting there. I know, um, I know Ben Greenfield has done a 20 minute push IV, which he doesn't recommend to anybody unless you've got the, um, unless you've got the stamina. Now, what's the difference between taking the IV NAD or just taking the precursor to it, which is what you're having? Because I know that you can get the precursor, which, you know, from health food stores. I'm not sure. I've never taken it. I know that you can get it though. However, you can't access the NAD quite as easily.
0: The NAD uh, IVs will deliver NAD to the bloodstream. It's unclear if it's rapidly taken up into cells. It looks like it probably is based on a clinical trial. Um, But I don't have any hard clinical data on NAD IVs. I would love if somebody could do that, so then I could speak with authority. What I can say with authority is that if you give an NMN tablet or capsule to patients, they will have large amounts of NAD increase in blood, um, and we think in other tissues as well. So I think, you know, right now we're in a period of some experimentation by doctors, um, and they're seeing results apparently. But it would be great to have even a placebo-controlled trial. That would be fantastic for, for the NAD IV.
1: So, So um, I stated earlier that um, I know that you're a fan of, and I'm a huge fan of, going into an infrared sauna. Can you talk to me about how the body, um, you know, how we can use an infrared sauna or even um, heat and cold thermogenesis to help um, reverse the aging process?
0: Yeah. Well, it looks like in animal studies only that we've, we've seen and we've done that temperature makes a difference. If you make mice, uh, if they have colder body temperature, they do actually live longer. And we know that one of the sirtuins, number three out of seven in our body is activated by cold. We don't know about heat just yet, but uh, what, what happens is that When you activate this sirtuin number three, it makes more brown fat and turns white fat into beige fat, and that's healthy fat. That will increase metabolism, it will burn energy, and it will uh, probably be good for your health, and that's one of the reasons that I uh, have cold dips at the gym, and, uh, and probably I'll start doing cold showers, even though I hate doing that. The one that I do like doing is the sauna, and there's actually a fair amount of data from studies of people. These are association studies, so they're not true clinical trials. But sauna bathing, as it's called in Europe, is highly associated or correlated with improved cardiovascular disease, improved health for for Mm -hmm. cardiovascular systems. And so typically these are men, I have to admit, in these studies. But if they look at thousands of men who do regular sauna bathing over um, at least one day a week, some men do three times a week or even some people every day; those men have a, a thirty to forty percent decrease in the chance of heart attack. So it does seem to be beneficial.
1: Mm-hmm. This is so interesting. I got into. Um, I, I I read the the research on. Um, White fat to brown fat, and I started doing any form of um, cold thermogenesis. I even bought, to tell you the truth, because I have a, a membership for cryotherapy, and just the time that it was taking me to get there—it's in the middle of um, Canal Street, which is—it's um, just—it's a, a pain to get to. So, I actually started putting ice packs all over my body um, to induce the effect. So, um, that's a—that's a really interesting thing. I'm, I, I love getting into all of these things that you've. Um, that you've said in your book, it's absolutely amazing guys. You need to read uh, Dave's book. It's everywhere. Is it on audio yet?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can get it on audible. And uh, a lot of people tell me that's a great way to digest it. Um, Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's doing really well. And I'm so pleased that uh, the message is getting out there and it's, it's got uh, it's got history, it's got science, it's got philosophy, but it's also got explanations on why, what we do during our day is good for us or bad for us and how to make the right decisions about uh, what we eat and how we move um, and the kind of things we're talking about today. So thanks for plugging the book. I appreciate it. Um, I'm also updating uh, on my website. So the the book has a website called lifespan.com. Feel free to go there. There's, there's blogs and a newsletter. I just put one out yesterday about COVID-19 that a lot of people have enjoyed reading. Um, I give a perspective, by the way, on this that's unusual. Uh, I don't mince words. I use science uh, and I tell it as it is from what I see and what I, I'm hearing from trusted sources on the front lines. And so that's what's in the newsletter. But, yeah, anyway, th- thanks for saying that.
1: No, of course. Um, like I said, I'm a big believer in this. I'm a scientist myself at heart. I believe in science. Um, I, I don't think science lies, and I think um, anybody who can – have the ability to look at research and be able to give it to an audience, um, is very impactful and it's not an easy thing to do. I know that. And I just loved having you on the podcast. And I'm really hoping that somewhere in the future, when this is all done and dusted, we can come back and do another, um, do another, um, episode and hopefully focus solely on, get rid of coronavirus and hopefully um, focus solely on um, these anti-aging phenomenons that you've coming up with. So thank you so much, David, for being a part of the Neuro Experience podcast.
0: Uh, Louisa, it's been great. And uh, normally I'm more articulate, but I'm actually uh, on my computer here. I've got so many messages from desperate doctors looking for help, that uh, it's been a little distracting. So yeah. a lot's going on, but I, uh, thanks for allowing me to spend some time um, bringing people up to date.
1: Amazing. And, um, guys, I'm going to put all of David's information, um, in the footnotes of this episode.